Good morning. This morning we are going to be reading from the New Testament in the chapter of Acts. So if you would turn with me with your Bibles or your phone. If you are new here, there is a pew Bible just under the seat in front of you. And uh, it is on page 968. So we'll be reading Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, Though he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him the perfect health in front of you. And now, brothers and sisters... I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders did also. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. The seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send us Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until until the time of restoration of all things which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will become completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jess. It's my privilege this morning to 
speak to us on this uh, great passage of Scripture uh, in the book of Acts as part of our continuing series as we work our way through uh, this uh, history of the early church, the, the history that describes the birth of the church after Jesus was, uh, was killed, was buried, and was risen from the dead. And um, last week, um, we talked about what the characteristics of this church um, that has rapidly, that had rapidly grown on the day of Pentecost, on the day of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were added to the church as Peter preached and as others preached. Um, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit spoke uh, to, to many people from all around the world in, uh, in, in various languages. And, uh, and, and, and God started to form this new community, this new church. And, uh, and now we begin to see um, how, does this be, how does this new church begin to live um, out its witness in Jerusalem. Remember the book of Acts is laid out uh, according to the word of the Lord Jesus before he was uh, ascended into heaven. He says, you will be my witnesses. Wait here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here we see the church beginning in Jerusalem. In the middle part of Acts, we see the Jews, uh, the, the church spreading out into uh, Samaria and Judea. And then uh, the second half, really, of the book of Acts is about uh, the gospel of Jesus going out to the ends of the earth. And so we begin to see here what does it look like for God's people to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to live a life that's been empowered? By the Holy Spirit. You see, God's nearness and God's power, God's provision, God's mighty work is available to those who uh, belong to Christ and those who humbly go looking for them, those who ask for them. The scripture says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That the scripture also says that when, when we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And so his power at work in us, his provision, his ministry, his work through us is available to us as we're filled with his spirit and as we uh, desire his glory. So why do, why, why do we hesitate to ask? Why don't we ask more? I think partly we, we wrongly view ourselves as self-sufficient. We're quick to pride. We're quick to take credit. We look back on the, the story of our lives and we rewrite history and, th- and think, you know, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Sometimes we have low expectations of God. We don't really expect Him to work through us. We have an ungodly contentment with the present work of God in our world. An ungodly contentment. Now, you say, well, doesn't the New Testament say uh, godliness with contentment is great gain? Gain, yes, it does. And so you should be content with what you have and how you look and be content with the, the, in, in, in all circumstances. And yet there's also uh, this holy discontent that we want to cultivate among us and say, God, we want to see you move in more powerful ways, in more gracious ways. We want you to reveal yourself to more people. We want the name of the Lord Jesus to be exalted even more than it is right now. 
And so the, we want to cultivate this, this discontent for the present work of God in, the, in our world. And we want to say, Lord, would you use us even more and more and more so that you would receive more and more glory as we minister in the name of Jesus, as we minister in his name. So this morning we're going to look at the power um, that comes, that is available through the Holy Spirit. And uh, really this, uh, there's two kinds of power described here in this passage. There's healing power, quite obviously. We have to, we're going to deal with that. And then there's the power of the word, the power of the preached and proclaimed word, the good news, the gospel, that as we minister healing and the word in the name of Jesus, we should expect powerful things to happen. Now, the name of Jesus is not some mantra that we have to repeat, not some abracadabra kind of thing, but is really an invitation to Jesus himself, the present and living Lord Jesus, to enter into our circumstances, to enter into our situations, to enter into our lives, and to do what only he can do. And so let's look, first of all, at the healing power that this te- that is in this text. And, and uh, in this in this part of the message, I'm going to go beyond this text and look at the broader uh, message of the Scripture. What does the Scripture say to us? What should we expect? What should we believe about healing uh, through Jesus' disciples? And uh, should we expect to see the Lord healing people even right now? So first of all, why is there why is there sickness in the world? Why is there's sickness. Where? What is the source of sickness? The the short biblical answer, um, and there really isn't a short biblical answer, but the the short biblical answer is that sin has entered into this world. That that sin, that the breaking of relationship with God, affects not only our immaterial soul but also our physical bodies. That there is. Um, that, that sin has brought sickness into the world. But the coming of the Lord Jesus, coming of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was meant to usher in and to, as God begins, begins to undo the effects of sin in our world. And so Jesus came preaching and healing. That one of the main activities that the Lord Jesus did as he walked uh, through Galilee and through Judea was that he would often heal people who are sick. I did a quick scan of, of the Gospels this week and, and, and saw at least 27 different individuals that Jesus healed. And at least 10 different times where, like, it just says, and they brought him all kinds of sick people and he healed them. So these large groups. So 27 individuals and at least 10 groups of people that Jesus healed. And as we look at the book of Acts, this is the first healing in the book of Acts of 14 different healings that we read in the book of Acts. Twelve of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts contains healing. And so we want to unpack this for us. So what, why, why is there sickness in the world? The, the first reason is that there is the fall, that we live in a fallen world, that the fall, that the entrance of sin means that nothing in this world is the way that God fully intended when he made everything very, very good. The scriptures say that when God created the world, he declared it good and and very good. That there was no sickness, there was no death, there was no 
there was no hatred or oppression. There was no cruelty or injustice. There was, everything was good and very good. And yet sin has brought a curse into creation. So now Romans 5 says that death, um, that'll be on the screen there, that just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this way death has spread to all people because all have sinned. That the fallen nature of humanity means that that, that nothing is the way God intended, that death has entered into the world, and that sickness is a part of that. Romans chapter 8 talks about all creation groaning, it, that, that all of the, the created order is groaning because it's not what it was intended to be. It was not, it's no longer very good. And so when I say that one of the great reasons for sickness in the world isn't necessarily this particular sin caused that particular cancer, but that Sin, as a system, as a, as a fallen humanity, has brought death and sickness and illness into this world. But, the second biblical reason as to why there's sickness in the world is personal sin. Personal sin. So, for example, we, we know this, right? That some sinful actions can cause disease. So if you smoke cigarettes, there is a direct cause and effect between many kinds of cancer. Paul talks in uh, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as he's talking about the um, institution of the Lord's Supper, which we celebrated last week, and he's, he's, he's saying, you know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread, and And he talks about the cup, and he says, you do this in remembrance of me. He's talking about the Lord's table, and he says, so you ought to examine yourselves if you eat or drink. He says, because you guys are not living, you're not following the Lord, most of you. And and, and if if you participate in the body and blood of Christ in an unworthy manner, he says, you bring judgment unto yourself. And that's why some of you are sick, and some of you have died. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. So there's some debate as to what that means, but it means, at least, that there is some times where there is sin that leads to sickness, to judgment, and even possibly death. Third biblical reason as to why there's some sickness in the world is demonic forces. That sometimes demonic forces that are real in this world, Satan and his servants bring with it effects that, that include illness. So Matthew eight sixteen, for example. You got that there, Steve? When evening came, they brought to him, that's to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This is just one example of, of the connection that we see between demon oppression and sickness. And so the scripture says that some people can be demon-possessed, owned, controlled, overtaken by angelic beings. That a believer in Jesus can be oppressed and tormented by the enemy. And that that can lead to physical symptoms. 
And the scriptures say that, we can, that those things can be delivered in the strong name of Jesus. And so sometimes when we're praying for people who are sick, we can pray against the work of his enemy, of our enemy, his servants, their work and their effect in this world, in the strong name of Jesus. Second question, why does God heal? Why does God heal through the Lord Jesus? Why does God heal through uh, his followers like Peter and John here? Why does God sometimes choose to heal through this person? Well, uh, four reasons, at least. Uh, one, I think, is just love for the person who's sick. Think of this man here, this crippled man. who has been crippled since he's been, been born. He is really subjected to a life of poverty. He'll never be able to marry. He is totally at the mercy of other people. He, he's, he requires some people to carry him and place him in a place where people will pass by and then to carry him back to a home. He's, he's begging for just a little bit of money in order to eat and, and drink and just to survive. He is totally, he's, he's subjected to a life of poverty, to a life of um, really indecency. And um, Jesus has mercy on people. He says, I want to restore him. I want to turn his life around. And, and so this man is really just the object of Jesus' love and kindness. Another reason God heals, and I think one of the main reasons is for the credibility of the gospel message. For the credibility of the gospel message. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that connection here. But Peter uses the opportunity of this healing to preach the gospel. To share about the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And to call people to believe in him. Now you think people who have seen this beggar, this crippled man for years and years and years, now suddenly able to walk, are going to pay attention to the message of the one through whom this healing came. Of course they are. They're going to be like, whoa, something is going on here. And so many have observed that um, it's especially in places where the gospel has yet to take root, has, hasn't fully taken root, that God seems to work more through healing. So as we uh, break new frontiers in, in missions and as, as the gospel comes to, to new places and new people and to new uh, spheres where it has not yet taken root, that it seems that God is more and more willing or more frequently demonstrates the credibility of the message through signs and wonders like healings. And that often, as the gospel takes root, the, one of the prime uh, things that gives credibility to the gospel is the changed lives of followers of Jesus. Take that for what you will. That's not a. That's a. That's a bit of a observation through church history. Observation as you look around the world. But certainly, it's unmistakable that at times. To give credibility to the message of the gospel, God will choose to publicly and, dr- and dramatically heal someone. Third reason is that it's a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. Peter talks about this in verse 21. He says that, that there, there's coming a time of the restoration of all things. That God is going to uh, put everything back to, to being very good. That he's going to restore and renew 
his creation, that all things will be put back to justice and, and things will be right and there will be a world of love and there will be no more sickness, sadness, and sorrow. That everything sad will come untrue, right? That we'll be do, done away with sickness and that, that these healings are a foretaste of that, a sign, a pointer saying that this is the kingdom that's coming. This is, this is what it's like in the kingdom of God. And fourth reason, why does God heal? Is to inspire worship. To inspire worship. You see, this man is walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him praising God. And they are filled with awe and astonishment at what happened. And there's, there's worship that's released. That's ignited through this healing. So why does God healing? Love for a person who's suffering. Credibility to give credibility to the gospel message it's a foretaste of the coming kingdom of god and to inspire worship in us when does god heal when does he heal sometimes sometimes it's a horrific teaching that um that if you are sick and have not yet been healed, it's because of personal sin or your lack of faith. That's a horrific teaching that unfortunately exists in some pockets of Jesus' church. It's a terrible teaching. It's not biblical teaching. God doesn't always heal physically and miraculously. Two examples from the life of the Apostle Paul. You think Paul believed in healings? Paul believed in he- Paul performed healings. Tons of times in the book of Acts. Look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. It's, a throw, it's one of those quote-unquote throwaway verses. You like you read right past it. You got that there, Steve? 2 Timothy 4, 20. Says, uh, he's talking about some of his, his uh, journeys. He says, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Paul, why didn't you heal him? You're a healer. Just heal him. He was sick. Do you think Paul prayed that he'd be healed? Very likely. But he was sick. Paul had to move on. He left him there in the care of brothers and sisters to be tended to. Paul himself, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Suck it up, Paul. You'll be all right. So, sometimes God miraculously heals, answers our requests for healing. And sometimes he doesn't. And he's wise and he's good, and we need to trust him. But there is day, a day coming where every tear will be wiped away. Where sickness will be abolished. There will be no more illness, suffering, or death. That day is coming. And it's not a trite saying. It's not a throwaway statement at the funeral when we say they have received healing. If someone dies in the Lord... Next question, how should we minister to sick people? To people, sorry, people who are sick. Their sickness doesn't define them. They're people first, whom God dearly loves. How should we minister to people who are sick? 
Jesus were on earth today, I'd line up with my sick friends to bring to, to bring some of the friends that I know that are sick to Jesus. I'd pay the airfare. Or if you, even if he was in Jerusalem, like we'd get on the plane, we'd line up, even if it was days, right? We would want our friends, our family members, ourselves to be seen by Jesus if he were walking on the earth today. Well, the good news, friends, is that we have access to Jesus today. He is here. He's actually here among us by his spirit. You can bring your sick friends to Jesus. So how should we minister to people who are sick? We should pray for them. We should pray for them, and we should ask God for healing. We should not be shy in presenting our requests to God, as Philippians says. Make your requests known to God. Jesus often said to people, and especially sick people who were brought to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Do you want to be well? Jesus asked that question. It seems like a silly question. Do you want to be healed? Do you ask him? Present your requests. Pray with authority. Do you, I'm, I'm really struck by the authority with, in which Peter is operating here. He says, get up and walk. The Lord Jesus, and it was for Peter's mother-in-law, rebuked a fever. Have you ever rebuked a fever? Fever? Scram. Lay hands on. That's a, a New Testament practice. Your friends who are sick, maybe they're in the hospital. Sometimes they're treated like a, I don't want to catch whatever you've got. Like lay your hands on them as a sign of blessing, as a sign of love, and pray. Pray boldly. Pray specifically. Pray big prayers. Present your requests to God. Anoint them with oil. How can you minister to sick people? Anoint them with oil. Mark 6, 13. Mark 6, 13. This is Jesus is commissioned his 12 disciples. He says they went out, they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. James 5. Is anyone sick among you? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Anoint with oil. Oil in the scripture is a sign, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Often here it would be olive oil. Um, as we pour it or, 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 or just smudge it on is a sign of of the Holy Spirit who can bring healing, but also the Spirit who who commissions us to glorify Jesus through whatever Jesus calls us to. And so sometimes God calls us to glorify Jesus by treasuring Him through sickness and saying, actually, my health isn't what I treasure most. Jesus, as long as I have Jesus, I'm good. And so we commission one another for this season. Anoint them with oil. And pray with faith. Friends, 
Sometimes he heals. And we've seen it in our congregation in recent years, in other years. It's, um, we've prayed for people and doctors have been confounded as they've healed. By the way, go see a doctor. Okay, just to be clear, who's writing this? Dr. Luke, okay? It's okay to see a doctor. Don't be those people you read about in the news sometimes who say, oh, we don't want to bring our child who is sick to a doctor. We're going to instead pray for healing. We can do both, okay? Going to a doctor isn't a sign of a lack of faith, but you can do both. But not praying is a sign of lack of faith. Amen? Not praying is a sign of a lack of faith. I want to invite you to receive prayer for healing. So, one of the things that's confounded me a little bit um, over the years, last few years, is, um, and I think this, this sentiment is growing, both in our culture but with also within our church, is sometimes we get sick, we, have, we receive a diagnosis, and we keep it hush-hush. We don't want anyone to know. And I don't get it, to be honest. I don't get it. As a podcast I've been listening to recently, though, says, brought a bit of a point of clarity, and I was like, hmm, maybe. Maybe this is what's going on. And as a man named Mark Sayers is talking, and he's saying, if, if your dream, if, your, if what your life is aiming at is is a long and healthy life and eking out as much pleasure in this life as you possibly can, if that's the goal of your life, the greatest threat to that is sickness. And so that sickness is actually a source of shame. It's the, it's the threat to your, the greatest source of your happiness. And so that shame, you've got to cover it up. Maybe it's... What do I do if God, if I ask for people to pray for me to be healed and God doesn't heal me? Maybe that, that's a bit of the, that dilemma. But I want to invite you, if you're sick, this morning, be prayed for. I even brought some oil with me. I brought some oil with me, believing that someone will take me up on the offer. Okay? If you're sick... You're invited. We would love to pray for you. Okay? A couple of opportunities coming up. Connection time. There's probably about 400 people in the building right now. There's about 399 other people who could pray for you. If you want an official person to pray with, we'll have prayer team members on the sides during connection time or after a service. Gospel power. There's healing power and there's gospel power. The power of the word. We see Peter here demonstrating a courageous and a public faith. You see, people need not only an experience of God's power and things like healing, people need teaching in order to make sense of their experience. And so Peter is saying here, don't get all gaga over me and John. It wasn't us. It was Jesus who did this. He begins to teach them in order to make sense 
of their experience. We need teaching and experience. That in the middle of all the hoopla that's going on over this healing, Peter wants to make sure that everyone knows it was Jesus who deserves the glory. And he does it very publicly. And confrontationally, actually, right? Now, he wasn't rude, but he was honest. For example, he says, you killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. Now, if I was in front of a mob of people who about two months earlier had brutally killed my best friend, I think the last thing I would want to talk to them about is the fact that they murdered my best friend. <laughs> Lest they repeat the act and murder me. But Peter is courageous and bold and says, You guys did it. It was you. You killed the author of life. Way to go, guys. Faith in Jesus is meant to be a public faith. It's not supposed to be hidden under a bushel or under a rock. Faith in Jesus is meant to enter the public sphere. It's meant to be lived out loud. It shouldn't be a surprise that we're follow- to anyone that we're followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Increasingly, however, it would seem that in our workplaces we would be discouraged, even forbidden, from mentioning the fact of who we are. But faith in Jesus is courageous in public, not rude and obnoxious and abrasive, but winsome and honest and transparent. And gospel power comes when we're centered on Jesus. What does Peter talk about? Peter talks about Jesus. The entire, his entire speech is about who Jesus is and what his life, death, and resurrection has accomplished. His message is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And in the same way, that is our message. Our message is Jesus. We read that here that Jesus is God's servant. Verse 13, Jesus is God's servant. This is a reference to the second half of the book of Isaiah, especially chapter 40 and onward, where we read about in Isaiah's prophecy of this suffering servant, the servant of the Lord, who's going to be tortured and killed, who's going to suffer much, who's going to to be this uh, Savior who's coming. Peter's saying, that's Jesus. We read that Jesus is the holy and the righteous one. He's like... Pilate was going to let him go because he's holy and righteous. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't die for his own sins. He didn't suffer for his own sins. This Jesus is the author of life, the source of life. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the living God. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. God raised him up because he is himself the source of life. And if you don't know Jesus today, the scriptures say you're spiritually dead. That the day of your physical death is coming. And without being united to Jesus, 
eternal death would follow. You're like a flower that's been cut off at the stem, and while it looks great right now, it's slowly dying because its source of light has been removed. It's like my iPhone right now. It's unplugged from a power source, and if I leave it, eventually it'll be dead unless it's plugged into a power source. Jesus is the object of faith here in this passage. It's faith in his name. It's faith in Jesus. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in even God. It's faith in Jesus. We trust Jesus. He's the object of our faith. Again, we live in a culture that says as long as you be- it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. Friends, I'm not a great swimmer. I can swim a little bit, but I'm not a great swimmer. And if I'm, and uh, we like to spend time out in the boat in Lake Ontario, and um, I usually have a life jacket on because I'm not a great swimmer, and I like to float, and I'm lazy. But if I were swimming and struggling a little bit, I would say, you know, throw me something, throw me something. Now, if, if Sherry takes the anchor and throws it to me, I can sincerely believe and hold on to that anchor with with religious vigor, and I'm going to sink to the bottom with it. It's the object of our faith that matters. It's Jesus. Jesus alone can save. He's not an anchor. He's the PFD, the flotation device. He can save. Anything else that we trust in is like holding on to the anchor. It's just going to bring you down. It's our faith is in the person of Jesus, on Jesus alone. Right? And Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of prophecy. He's saying, this entire scripture, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, Peter's saying, it's all about Jesus. All these prophecies that that we were awaiting, this coming Savior King, the Shepherd King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Suffering Servant, it's all Jesus. He's the one that we've been waiting for, and He's come And he's the Savior. And then Peter gives an invitation to respond. He says, it's time to repent. It's time to turn. It's time to believe. Today is the day. The day of restoring all things is coming, and it's anticipated now by times of refreshing. Even now. He says, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He gives a personal invitation and says, I don't want you just to kind of hear this message and forget about it. I want you to respond to it. I want you to turn to Jesus. You killed the author of life. You've been going this way, and I want you to turn around and head towards him. I want you to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I want you to repent. I want you to turn back to him. I want you to trust him. And you'll experience that he's the source of life. You'll experience life that you've never had before. In fact, what God is going to do for all creation, when he renews and restores all things, what God is going to do for all creation, he's already done in Jesus. He's risen him from the dead. He's given him a glorified body that cannot be touched by sorrow, by sickness, by pain, that is immortal. That is an an eternal body, a glorified body. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. He's He's the first to rise. And all who believe in him will join him in that. 
when he returns and comes to renew and restore all things. And he says, now is the day for you to respond. Today is the day where you can respond to Jesus with faith. Again, some of you have been kicking the tires on Jesus, and and we love that you're here. We love that you're here, and you're welcome for as long as it takes. But I don't want you to... I want you to know that we, we actually want you to experience life. And we want you to trust Jesus. That we don't want you to window shop this thing forever. This is really important. It's really important that we be united to God through Jesus. That we repent, that we trust Him, that we believe in Him, that we experience His life and His joy, and that we become His worshipers. And so I'd invite you to that too. That if you'd want to receive Jesus, if you want to repent, if you'd want to turn to Him and receive that all your sins are wiped out, love to pray for you for that too. So I'm I'm inviting you to pray for healing today if you need to pray for healing or I'm inviting you to pray to receive Christ today. So let's pray now. Father in heaven, I pray even in these moments that you would give us faith. Faith we know is a gift from you. So give us faith, Lord, to, to pray. Give us faith to pray for healing. Give us faith to receive prayer. And give us faith, Lord, to trust in the Lord Jesus. That we would experience seasons of refreshing even now as we turn to you. I pray this in Jesus' great and awesome and beautiful name.